G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about lifting up our eyes. There is a harvest field. And when Jesus was referring to that harvest field, he was talking about those who've not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about reaching out to people, but today, not on the scale that you might be thinking. Perhaps it all happens one-to-one wherever you are talking about mission, but we're going to be talking about missions around the whole world today. I wonder if you realize just how significant it is for Christian believers to respond in accordance with Jesus' great commission to go into all the world with the message of the gospel. Well, it's our privilege today to speak with the leader of one of the most significant mission organizations in the world. It's called SIM. SIM stands for Servants in Mission. Now, SIM has more than 4,000 mission workers serving in more than 70 countries around the world. And the international leader of SIM is visiting Australia. His name is Dr. Joshua Boganjoko. He's of Nigerian descent. He is at the helm of SIM from the international headquarters of SIM in the United States. Dr. Joshua Boganjoko is joining us. Good morning and welcome along, Joshua. Good morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, a special welcome to Australia. And I might reflect that we did have a conversation uh, back, I think it must have been 2013. You'd just taken the helm of SIM and uh, was very excited about the prospects of what would be coming in the days ahead. And I know that SIM has grown even in those short years. But if we're talking about SIM today, I mentioned 4,000 missionaries, 70 nations. Maybe my detail is outdated, but when you think of SIM today and a snapshot for listeners to our conversation today, uh, what does SIM look like to you? Well, SIM is uh, today a global organization. Um, I use the word global intentionally because uh, we've talked uh, about SIM as an international organization. Uh, And it has been international for many years, uh, for all its years of service. But I think we are growing increasingly global as we have workers joining uh, the harvest, uh, God's harvest, from all over the world. Um, SIM workers now come from over 70 countries, uh, working together in teams around the world and uh, reaching out uh, to People who live and die without the gospel in more than 70 countries, as you have mentioned. Um, so, yeah, we've grown in diversity. We've grown in number. We've grown in opportunities. And uh, we continue to also grow in prayer, as SIM is by prayer. Joshua, when we think about missions, and everybody listening to our conversation is going to have some idea of what they think a missionary looks like, some idea of what they think a missionary does, Now, you're working in almost every sort of setting that you can imagine. 
what sort of missionaries stand out to you, uh, whether they're working in tribal settings or in urban settings, in universities? Uh, what does missionary uh, sound like and look like to you when you think of modern missionaries today? Well, the modern missionary today is simply ordinary people, ordinary people who have responded to God's call to take the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection to others who have never heard, or maybe who have heard but didn't understand, and to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Now, those ordinary people are coming from all kinds of ethnicities. Uh, they are Australians, as they are Nigerians, and they are Ecuadorians, as they are Indians. And uh, they're moving into neighborhoods and cities, and they're moving to you know, villages and, and compounds in villages. Uh, they are involved in uh, evangelism and disciple-making uh, through the education they have received in Bible schools. But they are also doctors who are reaching out in, in, in um, hospitals or even in communities uh, as uh, community health workers, or they are mechanics who are training people in, uh, in little schools that are equipping young people to go out and, and be able to work for themselves as they share the gospel of Christ Jesus in places like, like Bangladesh. Uh, they are reaching out through HIV-AIDS work as nurses, and they are also working as computer uh, exp experts in communities in, in, in some of the, uh, place, the countries in Asia where we work. So, I mean, the picture of who a missionary is has changed over the years, and it's simply ordinary people responding with a heart of love and compassion to Christ's call to the nations. What sort of stories do people tell uh, in this day, uh, 2016, they're, they're knocking on the door at SIM and they're saying, uh, I think that God has given me a calling to be a missionary, but, uh, but I'm a school teacher or I'm a computer programmer or uh, whatever background. I have a farming background. Uh, what sort of backgrounds are most useful in the mission fields today? Or is it, or is it really is everybody who's useful? I tell you, it's every skill and every gift that is useful to God's work. I, I used to tell people when they share their stories with me, I say to them, the only gift or the only skill that cannot be used in God's work today is the one that has not been offered to God. Okay. It is the one we have not surrendered to him. Any gift that people bring to the table, God can use. We have artists, you know, people who paint, paint artists who use their painting skill to express the good news of Christ, to show love to neighborhoods where that has been devastated by, by war. We have people who use dance, uh, art, to express the love of Christ as they tell the story of Jesus. We have computer scientists who put a simple message on the screen to uh, a, mu a Muslim young lady who's never heard that Jesus loved her. We have teachers who are teaching the uh, English language, using the Bible to express the love of Christ as they teach people to learn to speak English. We have, you know, all diverse 
opportunities, agriculturists. We have people who are in agriculture reaching out to communities where that have been devastated by farming, teaching them new opportunities, new ways of managing land, but at the same time sharing the good news of Jesus with them, journey with young believers to become disciples of Jesus, and any skill that anyone is willing to offer to serve the Lord in his harvest is useful to God so long as we are willing to give it to him to be used. Joshua, I know that listeners to our conversation will hear your wonderful Nigerian accent. And uh, just that few years ago when we first spoke, uh, you were the first Nigerian leader to be appointed of SIM International. And it meant that you had to move from Nigeria to uh, the headquarters base in the United States. But just to pick up on the changes that happen in the way we think about mission, because oftentimes uh, people in Western countries think that missionaries have been, you know, white people uh, sending missionaries to developing countries uh, where they've been sharing the gospel. But there's been a change, hasn't there? Uh, there's a there's a change uh, where uh, your own story is one of uh, rising to a position where you're now leading a significant missions organization. And, uh, and it's not so much uh, white people who are doing mission, but it's wonderful people from all sorts of different ethnicities who are rising to prominence and doing amazing things in mission around the world. That's correct. Um, you know, mission today is open to all those who are responsi- responding to the heart of God uh, with love and compassion all those in the church, you know, the, the, the church of God is now a global church. And the mission of God has always had a f- global focus, but now it has a global workforce. Uh, SIM teams have changed as the, the teams of other organizations are changing as well. Increasingly, mission leaders were having conversations around the whole question of how are we responding to what God is doing? Because we're not in leadership for our own goals. We're in leadership for God's purpose. God's purpose is the participation of his whole church. Today, SIM have Ethiopians who are, who are working in Pakistan, and we have Ecuadorians who are working in India. And then we have Indians who are working in, in Ghana, just like we have Australians who are working in Ecuador. Um, and if you, you see the team that God is bringing together, this multi-ethnic, multi-skilled teams that God is bringing together to express his love in communities around the world. It's the the most beautiful thing to see. I'm privileged to be one of those, and I I really thank God for the opportunity to be a part of SIM. My wife and I joined SIM as uh, missionaries about 21 years ago, and God has grown us in that process. God continues to grow us even where we are now, but he's also growing others as he brings them into relationship with himself and then into his mission work. It's a wonderful experience for Ecuadorians and Ethiopians and uh, Australians and Ghanaians and Americans to serve together on a team in a community that have never seen that kind of relationship before. And they're asking, what brings you together? How can you people work as if you are brothers and sisters? It's the most beautiful thing to see what God is doing. We'll talk some more about your personal story, you and your wife, in just a short while. But before we get into that, reflect for me 
on the 125-year history of SIM because those early days were not easy for missionaries. And the fruit, though, that has come out of the hardships born in those early days is mind-boggling. It is just amazing. Uh, tell us, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, how that history has evolved to the, uh, to the fruit of the SIM ministry today. Well, um, it's a privilege for me to represent SIM today in uh, its international leadership. Um, SIM's missionaries, the first three missionaries that went out on the Sudan interior mission, went to my own country, Nigeria. Although SIM today is made up of many other organizations that have merged with SIM over the years, uh, Bolivia Indian Mission, Cape General Mission, uh, the Puna Village Mission in, in Sri Lanka and India, that have all grown to be international organizations and have merged over the years. But this, they all share very similar stories. But the story of Sudan Interior Mission was the story of a praying woman who was praying for my part of the world that at the time had no gospel witness at all. Um, there were missionaries in the coast, or, um, you know, on the coasts of West Africa, but inland there were no missionaries because it was too dangerous. Uh, these three young men committed to take the gospel inland. Uh, they were warned when they arrived in Lagos. In fact, they were told by one missionary in Lagos that they were never going to see the interior of the Sudan. Uh, at the time, the region called the Sudan spread from Senegal in the, east, in the west all the way to Ethiopia in the east. It's the whole grassland of Africa, a, a large portion of uh, Africa. They went in. Two of them died within a year and a half. The remaining one went back to Canada, recruited more people. Some of those people died, and then they recruited another team. It was about the, uh, the third team that finally established a station in actually the state where I come from in Nigeria. And from there, God blessed their works. In the first seven years of SIM existence in Nigeria, it was said that there were more missionary graves than there were converts, which was true. They didn't baptize the first convert until 1901, uh, 1893 to 1901. But God eventually blessed that work as they continued to persevere with great suffering, with great sacrifice, with many lives lost, but the gospel was never lost, and their suffering was never in vain. So today, in Nigeria, the church has grown to uh, over 6 million in the Equa Church, Evangelical Church, winning all in Nigeria. The church in Ethiopia, uh, Kalehiwet Church, is about 10% of that country. It's over 8 million people on any Sunday. In fact, I, I did a calculation once, and I realized on any particular Sunday around the world, there are probably as many people gathering to, work, to worship God in an SIM-related church than perhaps in all of the continents of Europe put together. Mm. And that is an amazing work of God. It was costly, but God honored the sacrifice of those people. And it's out of that church in Nigeria that I come. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. 
We have the privilege of talking to the leader, the international leader of a very significant mission organisation, SIM. SIM stands for Serving in Mission. Dr Joshua Boganjoko is our guest and you can be part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. Joshua, as we talk about uh, the way that mission is changing, uh, things are unfolding and and uh, as we're hearing, it's bigger than most people ever imagine what God is doing by way of mission throughout the whole earth. But your story intersects with the work of SIM, and we've talked about those very difficult and dangerous beginnings uh, to the growth where there are six million uh, believers in church today just in your homeland of Nigeria as a result of that mission work in SIM. And then we talked about eight million in in other nations and uh, millions and millions more around the world. So tell us about your journey, you and your wife, because uh, you came to Christ as a teenager, I think, in university. Yeah, well, my I came to Christ as a teenager in a school that SIM actually established, in a high school that was established by SIM. Uh, coming out of uh, the Equa Church, which was planted by SIM in Nigeria, um, I went to high school uh, in an Equa school, which was actually established by SIM, handed over to the church at the time that I went to school. The church was running the school, but we still had SIM missionaries as teachers in that school. And it was there... Uh, in my second year, at the age of 18, that I, I first, for the first time, fully understood the gospel and recognized that Jesus died and rose again for me and that it's sin that separates me from God. And in that moment of understanding, I recognized that I needed Jesus in my life. I, I prayed and asked Christ to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. But I recognized the, the, the uh, enormous price that Christ paid for me. And in a, with a heart of gratitude, I said to the Lord, I, I don't want you to just be my Savior. I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. You have done so much for me. The least I can do is give my life to him. And I said, God can have my life and use it as he pleased. Well, you know, I, I said it at the moment of gratitude. I didn't know that uh, God would take me seriously, but he, he did. And uh, years later, um, when I was going to university and I was praying about what course I was going to read in university, I got a clear sense of you know, God's guidance towards medical work, uh, medical school. Uh, at the time, I wanted to do engineering. I loved mathematics, and I wanted to do engineering. But then there was just a clear, clear sense of direction towards medicine. So I went into medical school. And in my first year of medical school in the university in Nigeria, I was praying and just seeking the Lord because I wasn't really excited to be in, in medical school. I didn't like hospitals. I didn't want to be a doctor. I, I wanted to be an engineer. I, want to do, I wanted to do something with maths. And, you know, as I was praying, I had the privilege of going back home, a first semester holiday, had a message on mission that really struck my heart. It was like I, I was in church because that person was speaking that day. And in spite of my protest to God, telling God that, no, I couldn't be a missionary, the message was specifically on mission. 
and was challenging, you know, every one of us in church and specific examples like you and I have been talking about today. If you are an engineer, if you are a doctor, and whatever your profession, God can use it. That message really struck my heart. And I felt like God was speaking to me, but I dismissed it. And I said, no, I can't be a missionary because I'm a Nigerian. You know, I'm an African. So Africans don't do that. Africans receive missionaries. Africans don't do mission. So I dismissed it. And then the next weekend, I had another message, the same kind of message, which, again, I dismissed. And I told God I couldn't be a missionary. But then I bought a book that I read that weekend. It was actually written by an Australian, uh, Ingrid Trubbish, titled On Our Way Rejoicing. It was that book that nailed it for me. And reading that book, all I could see was mission. And at that moment, I felt I cannot but respond to God's call um, to me. So I surrendered to the Lord, and I said, okay, if you are calling me into mission, then that's what, that's what it will be. Mission, it will be. So I went through medical school, basically, knowing that I would be a missionary. And that has guided my journey ever since. My wife went through a different pathway. She came to the Lord in, in the university as a medical student. And then when she finished medical school, she did her internship in a teaching hospital uh, in Lauren, in southern Nigeria, where we met. And uh, at that point, she was already thinking what she wanted to do with her life, and she wanted to serve the poor and make her skill available to those in need. And it, by the time we met, she sensed that that was her call to mission, that God wants to use her skill to reach out to the poor, but to serve them with the gospel as well. So that was the journey for she and I, um, SIM played a significant role in my life. I was discipled by missionaries in, in high school, um, including my preparation for baptism. So that, that was my journey. Uh, Dr. Joshua Bogan-Joko, as we talk about mission and as we talk about things that are changing, uh, I imagine one of the changes that, that is happening in mission today is that many more people are taking short-term mission journeys uh, sometimes people call it missionary tourism, testing the waters, going off for a couple of weeks, uh, seeing what it's like on the mission field. Is that something that you've noticed is a major development in the way that mission is happening today? Yes, um, it's a major development in mission. It's a part of the development uh, of SIM and in SIM. And uh, I think, yeah, there are a lot of good things. Uh, that comes out of that. There are also some things that we need to be careful of as, uh, as the church uh, in terms of how we use short term. Uh, we as uh, SIM encourage uh, involvement in short term mission, uh, but we want to encourage it as part of the, the package of God's call on his church with intentionality in using short term to explore not only the opportunity to serve, but the places where we could serve and use our gifts, uh, the risk is to see short-term mission as an end in itself. Uh, that's a danger for the church because disciple-making takes years. Disciple-making does not happen in two weeks or in three months. Disciple-making takes a long time to nurture people to become true followers of Jesus. And so, as we engage in short-term mission, we are encouraging our church partners 
to see it as part of a greater process of long-term involvement and not just an end in itself. Of course, there are professions that can just go out and help out for a short time, and it's absolutely needed, for example, in medical work. But at the same time, we're encouraging the church to not neglect the necessity of sending long-term missionaries who can make disciples of Jesus Christ in contexts where he's currently least known. Such an important point that discipleship takes years and short-term mission is never going to fulfill in a large-scale way that discipleship needs. So there is need for people to actually be thinking about longer-term mission. Now, there's some problems there, isn't there, Joshua? It takes sacrifice to be a long-term missionary. And sometimes uh, there is the uh, very real and sometimes perceived danger of going to the mission field these days. And I suppose that some mission fields are more dangerous than others. But uh, the idea of sacrifice uh, and the idea of facing the idea that there could be danger, uh, are those significant things? How do, you, how do you counsel people when people are thinking about missionary work but they're, they're held back because of the level of sacrifice it takes, the level of danger they might face? What sort of uh, advice do you give? Well, I mean, danger these days, it's everywhere. Um, and that's one thing I say to people. The safest place to be is where God has placed us. And whether that's in a church here in Australia or in the corner of uh, somewhere in the Middle East or in somewhere in Africa or in Asia or Latin America, the safest place is where God has placed us. Um, nobody would have thought a couple of years ago that even the streets of Paris in the, in the heart of Europe could be dangerous. But today, Danger is not defined in terms of location. Of course, I agree there are places that seem to be more dangerous than others. But when God calls us, he's also the one who protects wherever we may be. So that's what I I say to people who are considering God's call, but they are afraid of what might happen. See, these dangers are present wherever we are today. But stepping out to honor the Lord does not place us in any more danger than staying back home. Because whatever we do, our trust as Christians, as people of God, our trust is still in the Lord himself. He is our protection. He is the source of our safety. And that is my encouragement to people. Wherever God calls, go with courage. Yes, mission is dangerous. It has always been dangerous. There's no period in history where mission was not dangerous. In the time of the early church, even in the book of Acts, mission was dangerous. People were killed. People were stoned. And uh, it's not different today. And the church is not different today. The Holy Spirit is not different today. The Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, who rose again for us from the dead, is not different today. The world is not different. And so we can trust the same God and step out with courage. And SIM, as the leader, the international leader, I imagine a lot of your work is going to be in strategizing as to how you best mobilize people into mission. And uh, when there are so many 
in so many different nations around the world. I imagine that's a weight of responsibility on your shoulder that you don't take lightly, and you need to hear God's wisdom in that. Uh, but when you think of geographic, uh, the geographic location of where mission is most important in the world, uh, I know you have a focus on communities where Christ is least known, and there is a mobilization now that's happening towards the Middle East. How do you describe the need for missionary endeavor into the Middle East at the present time? Um, <clears throat> there's a great need for missionaries in the Middle East. Uh, there's a great need for Christian workers to step into that context. Um, as you know, and uh, it's very prominent around the world today, the chaos that is present in many, many contexts in the Middle East, the unsettled nature of the situation of the Middle East, and uh, the reality that life is very difficult in many parts of the Middle East, as well as in other parts of the world, I mean, some parts of Africa as well. Uh, but uh, it is those kind of contexts that need God's people the most. It is those kind of contexts that need the comfort that the good news of Jesus Christ brings. It is those kind of contexts that needs the good news of great joy, which shall be for all people, including the people of the Middle East. They, they need all that we can bring to serve them at this hour of need. Christ came because we were in need. We needed to be reconciled to God. And right from the, the history of the church, there's no time when the church has not had to step into difficult situations. Even the gospel spread because people were persecuted, because people were in, in danger, because refugees were moving around and sharing that good news as they were chased out of where they were. Uh, as people dispersed from Jerusalem, they took the word with them. And perhaps today, as the nations are being dispersed, this is the greatest opportunity for the church to engage with them, not only in their homeland, but also wherever they are being scattered. So today, the need in the Middle East, the need for trauma healing, the need for medical care, the need for comfort, the need for support, it's great. And the church has the answers to those needs. And uh, I really believe this is the time to engage with those communities. So the Syrian refugee crisis, Iraqi refugees uh, flooding out of northern Iraq, out of Syria, and and uh, the flow of those refugees hasn't, uh, it may have slowed a little, but it hasn't stopped. Uh, there are some amazing examples, Joshua, of churches in these regions who are responding to the needs and uh, calling to action. Uh, what sort of stories uh, can you uh, point to of, of churches that are responding in these areas right now? Well, I mean, there are several churches. Um, I can point to some of the uh, churches in specific in locations. Churches have responded in specific ways. i give you an example of where they, they have responded by providing education um, to 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 children of the refugees who ordinarily will not be able to have education. Uh, they are supporting the families, uh, and uh, we have workers in those regions who are working together with these churches that are seeking to respond to the needs of these uh, refugees. We had a church in the Middle East that had sent workers to work with refugees in Europe 
to work with Syrian refugees in Europe because they speak Arabic, those refugees speak Arabic, they're in contexts where the, the people don't speak their language, and that connection of a church in the Middle East sending workers to serve the refugees in Europe, it's just a, a, an amazing thing to see. I mean, these are churches in very difficult contexts themselves, but at the same time, thinking of the needs of others. Many of these in need are Muslims, not necessarily Christians, but they were willing in the name of Christ to serve them because they see the need. Uh, and there are other churches with significant involvement, you know, all across the Middle East uh, who are getting involved sharing whatever they have, their expertise, but also their resources with these refugees. I guess in Australia we can feel a little bit removed from some of the greatest needs because we're on the other side of the world from where a lot of these things are happening. But are you finding that there are people from Australia who are responding and who are ready to, as we were saying a little earlier, make those sacrifices uh, and uh, even turn a blind eye to the potential dangers of serving in mission? Uh, what sort of response do you find, and uh, maybe your Australian uh, counterparts, uh, those people who are part of your team, have been able to reflect on, on the Australian uh, rising up in mission? Uh, is there a good response coming from Australia? Absolutely. I mean, Australians are responding just like people from other nationalities are responding. And I'm really grateful to SIM in Australia and the work that they're doing and the churches that are partnered with SIM in Australia, but also partner with other organizations, uh, other organizations with strategic partnership with SIM in the Middle East. Um, there are Australians who are stepping out and going into the Middle East to work with the, with the, the refugees there, but to also work with the local communities and the churches uh, in the Middle East, and also going to other places of great need. Uh, Australians are wonderful to work with. I have worked personally with many Australians over many years, and it's been a joy to work with Australians, and we need more. We need more Australians to engage, but I'm very grateful for the response that we're seeing from the Australian church and Australian people to the needs around the world and especially in the Middle East. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Talking about mission with mission leader Dr. Joshua Boganjoko, who is the international leader of SIM, 4,000 missionaries around the world in more than 70 countries. Uh, Joshua, running short of time, but I don't want to miss talking about your homeland of Nigeria. Uh, because it's an interesting situation that's going on in Nigeria and the way people might think about the need for mission activity. Half the population is called Christian, and then uh, the other half is uh, made up primarily, I, I imagine, uh, Muslims. Uh, but sometimes people think of Nigeria as an already evangelized, reached country, and they're ticked off the list. How do you feel about your homeland of Nigeria and the needs that it has right now? Well, I mean, Nigeria, in some way, is reached, especially when you consider the southern part of Nigeria. Uh, the church is present, the church is big, the church is strong. But northern Nigeria is still in great need of the gospel. There are still many communities in northern Nigeria where people still live and die without ever hearing or understanding the gospel of Christ. So the need is great in the north. Um, and the, the church in Nigeria is responding. But I believe that uh, the, the church 
together, globally, need to continue to respond together wherever the gospel is needed. So, yes, the need is still there in northern Nigeria, and uh, we need everyone to continue to join in reaching out to that region, in praying for that region, but also in reaching out to that region, because they, too, need the good news of Jesus Christ. We have been uh, having our talkback lines open. Uh, let's just take a quick call. Coral is in Cooma. Hello, Coral. Welcome along to 2020. Yes. Yes, good morning. Hello, Coral. What are your thoughts on our discussion today? Look, look. I just had a question. I don't know if, he can, if um, your person can comment. But, look, I've been very interested in how those girls, the Nigerian... Um, schoolgirls that got um, abducted by the Boko Harams, how they've been going and if he knows of any like good charities or anything that we could do that might help that whole thing or um, protect young people in uh, Nigeria. It's a good it's a good question. Let's get a response, uh, Dr. Joshua Bogan-Joko. Those schoolgirls who were abducted, uh, is there any uh, new reports uh, that you're aware of and how can we uh, support uh, the endeavours there that support those girls? Well, thank you. Yes, um, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, 21 of those girls were uh, exchanged and returned to the government and then to their families. And then after that, another one was found in a, a small town uh, in that region. There are still several of them that have not, never been found, um, still over 100 of them that have never been found. And uh, our prayer is that they will be found. Uh, there are organizations in Nigeria that are engaged with working with those communities. SIM is partnering with those communities. We have uh, an outreach uh, in the area of trauma healing uh, that is caters to not just the need of those who have lost loved ones through the Boko Haram attack, but even some of the communities that have lost their young ones and some of the young people, some of the girls that are being found and returned. So there is opportunity to serve those communities through some of the ministries that uh, SIM is involved in in that region of Nigeria. Thank you so much to Coral from Cooma for your call and for your question about those schoolgirls. Of course, there was a couple of hundred that were abducted. Uh, running short of time now, I don't want to miss the opportunity, Joshua, of talking about how Aussies can connect today uh, to the work of SIM. There is an SIM website. It's sim.org.au. But if you feel an inkling in your own heart that there might be a calling upon you to actually serve God uh, in mission, there's an opportunity to connect. Uh, when people go to the SIM website, what sort, of, uh, what sort of process is there from feeling like you might have some sort of call to actually uh, converting that into uh, actually being there on the mission field? Well, basically, when you go to the SIM uh, website, you can look at a number of opportunities that are available through SIM, both in terms of location, but also in terms of the type of ministries that you can be involved in. And then through that, you can fill in an inquiry, which really basically send your information to the SIM office here in uh, Pennsylvania, and then 
somebody will contact you from this office to engage in that journey with you. Uh, for SIM, engaging in the process of getting involved is personal. We believe that as God brings you along, we want to journey with you. Our desire is to walk alongside people and to journey with them in that process that uh, God has uh, called them to engage in. And, you know, you can engage in going, you can engage in giving, you can engage in praying, but there are people who will engage with you as you send your information through the website to the SIM office. Well, as we've heard, there are tens of millions of people that are the fruit of the mission endeavors of SIM. A 125-year history and people all over the world affected in significant ways. And, of course, wonderful to hear of such an engagement of SIM here in Australia, of missionaries being sent to all sorts of parts of the world because they've responded to a call on their own life and they've been in contact with SIM and they've been placed in uh, various uh, settings around the world where they have been able to bear absolutely wonderful fruit for the kingdom of God. A great conversation today. The website for SIM is sim.org.au. Dr. Joshua Boganjoko, just a privilege having this conversation today. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your heart with us on 2020. Thank you so much for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.